for not getting up and leaving when you saw me get up here and uh, bear, bearing with me. So, um, and just uh, thank the Lord this morning for His goodness and His mercy and His grace. And uh, we, uh, we, we serve a great big God. And I thank God for what He has He's done for me and my family. And uh, He's been with us. Uh, just uh, this has been a crazy year and uh, been a crazy year for our family and God has been with us and we thank him for that um, actually I appreciate Mike and Corey this morning they've helped me get some slides I'm very I'm not tech savvy and uh, I'm kind of like my notes are scribbled out on a piece of notebook paper I'm very old school but I uh, appreciate them helping me get some slides up here uh, and maybe that will help I'm uh, this morning, I'm, I'm using the ESV, so I, the verses I put up here are ESV verses, so that may help this morning with following along. Um, John chapter 6, if you'd like to go ahead and turn with us, but while you're turning, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever found yourself in a, in a difficult situation, a uh, time when you just maybe didn't know what to do, uh, or maybe... Uh, everything you can think of to do to handle this difficult situation that you're in, um, you, you, you just hit a roadblock. You didn't know what to do. It just seemed like it was so much bigger than you. And if you've never found yourself in that kind of situation, just hold on tight because it's coming. Uh, you're going to find yourself in one. Last night, um, we had a lot of the, the young people here, and uh, I asked that question, and they're all shaking their heads. And I thought, well, I guess they have because in school you're dealing with bullies and you're dealing with uh, final exams and you're dealing with book reports and all this stuff. You're finding yourself in all kinds of difficult situations. So uh, this morning, um, the, um, the thought on my heart this morning, he, uh, the God of difficult situations. When we're in a difficult situation, that's when God shines. That's when our Lord really uh, tends to show off. And when we're in that difficult situation and we're going through something maybe we don't have the answers for and we don't know what to do, um, and, and, and when we're going through it, we're thinking, how in the world could God get glory out of this? And then five years later, you look back on it and you see. And maybe it might be 15 years later. You, you look back and you see where God really brought you through something and you just trusted Him. John chapter 6 and verse 1, we're going to read... 15 verses, and I promise um, I, won't, uh, I won't keep you too long. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. 
So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, and also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, uh, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets of fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today one more time. God, we just uh, thank you for your word. And God, as we, uh, as we open your word this morning, we just pray, God, that you would um, just make it clear to us. And Lord, speak to our hearts, Lord, what we need to hear. And we pray this and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we have 12 disciples and 5,000 men finding themselves in a difficult situation. Jesus, uh, it says here in verse 1, it says, After this, and what he's saying there, after this, meaning after the events that happened in chapter 5, uh, he, had, he had been doing a lot of teaching. Notice, if you, if you, if you have your Bible in front of you, in chapter 5, uh, the majority of it is all red letters in my Bible, if you have a red letter Bible. But then chapter 6, there's just a few, just a handful of red letters in that whole chapter. And uh, in chapter 5, Jesus was doing a lot of teaching. In chapter 6, Jesus is doing some teaching, but it's not with his words. He's showing them something. And so there's just a few words that he says. And it says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Now, I'm pretty sure that's just right down below Bear Lake, if I look at it on the map right, somewhere close. If I was back home, I would say that was down below Watauga Lake. You, uh, if you were from where I'm from, you know what I'm talking about. That's right down below Bear Lake. No, that's, uh, that's a few miles away from here. And so he, he got away uh, over by the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd, in verse 2, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. This large crowd uh, was not, you know, you, you think about a large crowd following somebody. Uh, they were just interested in what they had seen. They maybe had seen, uh, maybe Jesus heal some sick folks, or maybe he had helped somebody who was lame be able to walk. And they had witnessed this, and in some of the other, this, this, um, this account, I don't want to call it a story because we, we, we tell our kids a story, a lot of times it's not true. And so I, I'm, I'm bad to say, well, it, this story in the Bible, no, it's an account, it's, 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 this is fact. So this account is recorded in all four Gospels. But all four Gospels give their, uh, Luke gives his uh, uh, perspective on it. Mark gives his perspective. Uh, John gives his perspective. And as John is given his perspective on this, uh, John is, is wanting to paint the picture of Jesus, the Son of God. Uh, where we all have, I, I think about my family, and I've got a different perspective on my family than maybe what my son or my daughter has. But we're all part of the family, and, and my wife has. And we all have this perspective on the family. My wife can tell you about my family from a mother's point of view. 
She can tell you exactly what each each kid needs, or she can tell you exactly what um, what Miley likes to eat for supper, and she might she might know just exactly how to slice that sandwich because that's her perspective on it. My perspective on it is: uh, did we did we get a paycheck to go in uh, so that we can buy that sandwich? You know, that's my so. Anyway, all the all the gospel writers gave their perspective on the same account. So. Uh, John is painting a picture here of Jesus, the Son of God. So as we go through this, and as we, as we look at this, let's think about all the people involved in these 15 verses and maybe their perspective on what's going on. First of all, you have the Lord. You've got Jesus and his perspective. You've got the disciples and you've got their perspective. Maybe just try to put yourself in their shoes and what, what they're experiencing. And you've got this crowd of people that's following because they have seen the signs and the miracles that Jesus had done, and maybe their perspective on what's going on. And so uh, Jesus saw these people coming. large crowd was following him. And uh, according to, I believe it was Luke, in his, uh, his gospel, in, in his account of this, uh, Jesus actually healed some of their sick. So some of these folks were sick, some of them had really big needs that they were hoping to be filled, physical needs, and they were following Jesus that day. And so uh, this large crowd, Jesus went up on the mountain in verse 3, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now most of us, if, if somebody told me that there was a large crowd following me because they just they really liked me, pride is probably going to well up in me. And I'm probably going to get the big head, and I'm going to be—I I, I mean, I'm—I'm I'm going to be all about this big crowd, you know. I'm going to be right out there. A lot of us, you know, you think about how movie stars and how these famous people may uh, may may interact. You know, they they may say that, hey, I really I really don't like being in the spotlight. But if they didn't want to be in the spotlight, they would have never have have pursued that career. And so. Uh, you know, sometimes maybe a crowd following you may cause you to maybe, maybe be prideful and, 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 and really want to be all about that crowd. But it says here that Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. So he's up on this mountain, and I have this picture because the landscape in this area, the mountains are about 3,000 feet in elevation. And so I look here at these what y'all call hills, I call these mountains where I'm from. These are mountains. You look out here across the road, these are hills. So I, I just picture Jesus going up on the hill, and he's looking down on the crowd, and he sits down. He just sits down with his disciples. And it says in verse 4, it says, Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes, then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread that these people may eat? Now, Jesus asked this question to Philip. He wasn't asking Philip this question because he needed answers. Do we think for a minute that Jesus is sitting on this hill looking at this crowd, wondering what am I going to do to feed all these people? He already had the answers. He already knew. He already knew this crowd was going to come before this crowd was even born. I mean, Jesus, he, he's, he's all-knowing. And so he, he looks at this crowd, and he, and he asks Philip, and Philip and Andrew 
are probably two of the quietest disciples. They were, you, you, don't, you don't see a lot where they were outspoken like Peter. You know, Peter, he, he didn't care to tell you what was on his mind. But Philip and Andrew, they were kind of people persons. And they were, you find some places, you remember where the, these Greeks came and they, they came to Philip and Andrew and they said, we want to see Jesus. They, they, for some reason, they picked out Philip and Andrew. So I believe that maybe they were maybe people persons, people, people, however you say that. And they were, um, uh, they, 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 they were about the people. And so Jesus asked Philip, he said, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. He posed this question to Philip because he, he was going to teach Philip something. We, uh, we pose questions to our kids all the time, don't we? It's not because we, we, we need the answers. I'm not asking my 16-year-old something unless maybe it's something about math because I, need, <laughs> because I need the answers. I'm asking him something because we're, we're coming up on an intersection here on 17th and people out here, I, I don't know if y'all know this or not, but people out here drive crazy. I thought they drove crazy where we're from. Oh, my goodness. It's crazy. I mean, they don't even look at stop signs. I mean, so it makes me nervous to think of our kids driving. So we'll be driving down the road, and I'll say, okay, Lucas, we're coming up on this intersection. Now, what do we need to do? I'm not asking him because I need to know. I'm asking him because I want to make sure he knows what to do. And most of the time, he'll give me the right answer. And it's coming, it's coming back around now because I'll be driving. And he'll say, Dad, you just lane drifted. And I'll say, Lucas, just hang on because I'm fixing to do it again. So just, just hold on tight. Don't do what I do. Do what I say. So uh, it's coming back around because he'll call out everything that I've, that I've called. So he's learning. And so we, we pose these questions to our kids, not because we need the answers, but because we want to teach them something. I wrote down... Uh, I wrote down something, it's a, it's a quote from Chuck Swindoll, and um, this right here totally makes sense. It says, we're all faced with a series of great opportunities, brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. I said, I've got to write that down, that's, that's awesome. I was, I was reading an article of his, like a, 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 just, a, just a daily devotional, and uh, that happened to be in there, and a series of great opportunities brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. We go through a lot of things, and it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's great opportunities, but the enemy wants us to look at it as that's an impossible situation. Now think about what the Bible says. With men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So as we, as we go through this, and we're looking at an impossible situation here, 5,000 men... Uh, it doesn't say that women and children were with them. There could have been, but it doesn't say. So we're going to say 5,000 men. It could have been 15,000 people. But the Bible says 5,000 men, and that's what we're going to go with. The 5,000 men um, out in the middle of nowhere, it's getting late. Jesus clearly sees that there's a need there. There's a hunger. Um, it's... 
he, he probably knows that some people are going to start, they, they may faint, they may get weak if, if they don't eat. He knows that. He, he knows the situation. And so he, when he posed this question, and then Philip, he says, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Now, that's a specific amount that Philip mentioned. And I think maybe, I don't know this, but maybe that might have been how much they had in their treasury bag that they carried with them. I don't know. But for some reason, 200 denarii uh, was, was specific to Philip. And a denarii is one day's wages. So 200 days' wages would not be enough to, for all these people just to get just a little bit to eat. A difficult situation. Philip's perspective is we just don't have enough. There's not enough. There's not enough money for us to even go to the nearest town to buy enough food. That's Philip's perspective. And then in verse number 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. Now that sounds good. He's got a solution. Five barley loaves and two fish. Now, two fish and five loaves of bread. When you think about a loaf of bread, we used to get before we had to start eating healthy. You go to Walmart and you get this big loaf of bread about this long. It's got about 50 slices of bread. And it's the nastiest white bread, bad for your body, but it makes the best sandwiches. And it's cheap, you know. And you can, you can take one of those loaves of bread and you can spread it out. The family can eat for days, weeks maybe, if it don't go bad. You know, that bread can be spread out. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about some barley loaves, probably the size of a hamburger bun. So you've got two little fish and five loaves of bread, five hamburger buns. There might have been enough, maybe if you spread the fish out, maybe to have five small fish sandwiches to spread out among 5,000 men. Andrew, he saw, hey, we've got something here. There's a boy here that has these two fish and these five barley loaves. But, ain't there always a but? When we see something that is good, but there's always, we've got to turn it negative. He says, but, what are they for so many? Here we've got something, Lord. I've, I've got something. You know, this boy's got some food. But it's just not going to be enough. How many times do we do that? Lord, you know, I've, I've, um, I've, I've got this talent. I've got this, this gift. I would really like to use this to help the church. Um, not trying to plug the, the business meeting, but Brother Dennis was talking about all these things uh, in the church and, 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 and got people to, to, to do things. And that's a great thing. But what the sad thing is a lot of people have these gifts and talents and they say, I've, I've got this talent or I've got this gift, but it's not good enough. But it's not as good as what somebody else could do. But it's not as much as what somebody else can give. But it's not this or but it's not that. And so uh, from, from Andrew's point of view, and he reminds me a lot of, of how I approach things with the Lord. You know, a lot of times I may say, Lord, I, I, I would do this, but 
I'm just not the right person to do it. But I'll just don't have this or but I just can't do that. And then if you if you go in, in Luke nine twelve, and I'm not going to read that, but over in Luke, in Luke's account of this same uh the same story, the disciples said, Let's just send the people away. Let's just send them away. Just tell them, just go find you some food and just deal with it yourself. And that's how we deal with things a lot of times is we just want to, let's just get, let, let's just, okay, the elephant in the room, let's just don't look at it. We've got, this, we've got this problem, we've got this situation, but let's just don't look at it. Let's just look the other way and maybe, just maybe, the problem will go away. So you've got that perspective and you've got, uh, you've got that way of looking at uh, a situation. I like what Jesus did in verse number 10, and he said a lot without saying a lot. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Then it goes on in the same verse, now there was much grass in the place. Jesus said, just sit down. Sit down for a minute. Sometimes we come to a place where we don't know what to do. And sometimes the best thing to do is just sit down. Just sit down and let God handle it. Let's quit worrying about it. Let's quit trying to, to handle things on our own and just sit down. And I like what, and it makes sure to point out here that when he told them to sit down in verse number 10, he said, now there was much grass in the place. And one of the other gospels even said there was much green grass. For some reason, a lot of attention is brought to this grass. Jesus brought them to a place where they were going to be in desperate need for something to eat. And he brought them to that place where he said, I'm going to have you to sit down for a minute, quit worrying about things, and you know what? I'm going to make sure that it's a good, soft, grassy place. Boy, ain't that how the Lord works. He didn't just tell them to sit down. You know, here's, this, I, tell you, I tell you what, Peter, John, watch this. I'm going to teach these people a lesson. They're following me for the wrong reason. Let's bring them over here to the rockiest spot, these old jagged rocks, and let's have them sit down. No, he brought them to a nice, green, grassy place. He said, sit down for a minute. It says, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And um, some of the other uh, gospel accounts even said that they, they separated them out in 50s and 100s. They had them all separated out. This may have been by family, could have been by uh, maybe what town or what uh, province they were from, but they had them sit down. And then verse 11, Jesus took the loaves. When he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. So Jesus, there's a lot going on here in verse number 11. Jesus had them bring to him what they had. Now, whenever Andrew came and he said, Now, we've got this boy here. Now, he's got these uh, two fish and these five barley loaves. But I just don't think they're going to be enough. Jesus didn't go to Andrew and say, well, i tell you what, Andrew, you go back, and when you find something that you can bring to me that's going to impress me, then you bring it to me. 
You, when you bring me something that's going to be enough, then you bring it to me. When you bring me something, Andrew, that's really, um, that, that is going to be enough to take care of this problem, until you can bring that, then don't you come back. No, Jesus said, just bring me what you have. You got these two little fish and these five barley loaves? That's nowhere near enough? Guess what? That's perfect. Bring it on. So Andrew brought it. They brought him what they had. Whenever we come to the Lord, if we come to the Lord and we feel like that we can impress him by what we can do or what we can say, what we can wear, then we've, we've missed the point. It's a humbling thing when we realize that what we have to bring to the table is not enough. When I realize that what I bring, what I have to offer in God's kingdom is not even enough to scratch the surface. It's a humbling thing. And he says over in 1 first, uh, first Peter chapter 5 and verse number 6, he says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that he may... so that at the proper time he may exalt you. A lot of times we have this picture in our mind of humbling ourselves before God as, hey, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm just really humble. I'm, I'm, I tell you what, I've got this humility thing down. I've, really got, I've got humility figured out. I'm just really humbled before the Lord. And I, No, no, that's, that, actually that's the opposite, that's pride. And so... To be humble before the Lord, we come to the realization that what we have is not enough. But we're offering what we have. And God takes what we have. And God uses it for His glory. That's being humble before the Lord. Jesus gave thanks for it in verse 11. He took it, and when, when he, he, he took the bread and He took the fish, He had it in His hands. And he gave thanks. He blessed it. You see, now the provision was in his hands. No longer was it just a little boy's lunch that he was the only one that, uh, that had enough sense to bring lunch along with him that day. No longer was it his lunch. No longer was it an idea that Andrew had. But now it's something in the mighty hands of God. The provision was in his hand. Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. We can make all the plans that we want to make in life. We can do all the things we want to do in life, but until we put it in his hands and let him establish our steps and our goings and what we're doing. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 and 7, Paul is... He sent this letter to the Corinthian church, and there may have been some comparison between him and Apollos, another, another preacher. And one was saying, we like Apollos, and one saying, we like Paul. And, one, and there was this going on in the early church. It's no different than today. Some may say, well, I really like to listen to John MacArthur. And I, some may say, I really like to listen to David Jeremiah. And some may, you know, they got all these that they, they, they like to hear. But what Paul said, he said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. 
So Paul did some work and Apollos did some work, but God is the one that made it, actually made it grow. Uh, one may water, one may sow, but God gives the increase. So what we have, what we have to bring, I want you to look at it from the perspective of the bread and the fish for just a minute. I know that's an inanimate object, but thinking about the bread and the fish, if it could talk, probably looking around at this crowd of people going, we're not enough. But when put in the hands of Jesus, he made it enough. And on down in, in verse 11, it said Jesus distributed it. So he took the two fish and the five hamburger buns, uh, five fish sandwiches, and 5,000 people. Now I want you to think just for a minute the disciples. He gave this to the disciples to distribute out among these men. And when I put myself in that position and I think, what, how would I feel if somebody came to me? Let's say we're having a big church dinner. Let's say the church is packed and we're going to have dinner after church and somebody comes in with a Little Caesars pizza, one Little Caesars pizza. And they came to me and they said, we want you to distribute this Little Caesars pizza to the whole church. I'm probably going to get up before the church and throw out a disclaimer and I'm going to say, I'm sorry. Somebody was supposed to get 30 pizzas, but we only got one pizza. I'm sorry. We're going to cut it up into small pieces, and you can get just a little bit. I'm sorry. I know it won't fill you up, but this is what we have. And I'm, I'm just so sorry. And I will be begging people, please, please don't get mad about this. Please don't hold this against me. But this, this is all I've been given to give you. Now, the disciples were given this. Now, think, taking these five fish sandwiches, and that's what I'm going to call them, and tearing off a little piece. Okay, Peter, now here's your piece. Now, you go over here to these 50 people. Okay, now, uh, Bartholomew, now here's your, here's your piece. Now, you go back here to this, to, to this uh, crowd. Now, you've got 100 people, and you're going to have to spread it out. Now, now, I can just picture these disciples walking up with this crumb and passing it down the first row going, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I don't, under, I don't know how this worked, how, when this gets passed out. And this is one of those things. One of these days when we get to heaven, I would love to sit down with some of the disciples and say, Hey, tell me about this. How did this, you know, how did this go down? But they begin to pass it out, and, and, and it, was, it was plenty. It was enough. And, you know, sometimes God's ways don't make sense to us. But it doesn't mean that his ways are not the right way. His ways don't make sense all the time. Isaiah chapter 55 and verses 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's ways don't always make sense to us, but you know why? Because our brains are not king-sized. His ways don't make sense to me. When we were explaining to people back home that we were moving out here, and they, I had people say, why? And I would say, I don't know. <laughs> I can tell you my reasons and why, you know, why it's a desire, why we want to. But a lot, in a lot of ways, physically, financially, a lot of ways, it didn't make sense. 
But we just felt like God saying, go, I'll take care of you. And God's, oh my goodness, he's taking care of us. His ways don't always make sense. You know, his ways uh, are so much higher than our ways. I heard a, a preacher say one time, he said, if we could see as God sees, we would do as God does. But we, we can't always see as God sees. He distributed the food. And right here is where he, he brought it home. He didn't have to say a word. All he had to say in verse 12, it says, And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing be lost. He just said, Gather up the leftovers. I can picture the disciples saying, Oh, yeah, he's joking with us. Let's go. Let's get our baskets. Oh, okay. Oh, you've got leftovers? Oh, okay. Oh, you've got, oh, okay. Are you, are you, did you get full? Are you sure? Your whole family? Yeah, okay. Lord, we've got 12 baskets of leftovers. He didn't have to say a word. He didn't have to get up and hold up a sign and say, I'm the Lord of Lord and King of Kings. But everybody there on that hillside that day knew there was something. There was something about Jesus. There was something about that name. They might not have known enough yet to understand that he was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords because it goes on to say that in verse number 14, it says, and when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they, might, uh, that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So these people knew that there was something about him, and Jesus perceived that they were going to try to take him and make him king, but they had earthly things still in mind. They had an earthly king that they were wanting. They, they, had, they had lived under the, the Roman uh, government and they, they were looking for an earthly answer but Jesus had so much more to offer them but they, they only thought of him as the prophet but Jesus showed that day that with a difficult situation an impossible situation that he's the Lord over all of it they knew there was something special about him in closing I want to share with you the biggest impossibility that we face. And that's eternal life. The biggest impossibility that we ever face is eternal life. Do you ever feel like maybe you've, you've, you're not good enough? Uh, maybe you've not done enough to impress God. The reason is because you've not. You're not good enough. I'm not good enough. We could try the best we could do our whole life to impress the Lord, the eternal God. You see, he always has been and always will be, and I can't wrap my head around eternity. When I think about as far back as I can imagine, the Lord existed, and even beyond. As far forward as I can even begin to imagine, the Lord exists, and even beyond. And he tells us that we can have eternal life. In Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. So we have all sinned, we have all fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of those sins is death. But it goes on in Romans 6.23, But... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord.
the free gift. He overcame the biggest obstacle that we face. He overcame something that, that we, there's no way that we could there's no way that we can handle it. In Ephesians 2:8 says, "For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God." I want to close with you with a thought. This is from, this is from David Jeremiah. He said, A God who is small enough to be understood is not big enough to be worshipped. If I can wrap him up in a box and stick him in my pocket, it's probably something man-made. We're going to... Um, I'll close us in prayer, and we'll, we're going to sing a song, and then we're going to have uh, the Lord's Supper. Um, but before we do that, let's pray. Father, we come to you today. Father, we just thank you, Lord, uh, for the privilege to come together. Lift up your name. God, we thank you, Lord, that you are so much bigger uh, than the difficult circumstances and the things that we face in life. Lord, whatever it might be. God, all we need to do is just put it in your hands. Realize that we're not enough in ourself. But God, when we put it in your hands, Lord, you can do something great in our life. And you can use us for your kingdom and for your glory. And you can take a piece of clay and you can mold it into something that's beautiful. And we just pray, God, that you would do that in our lives today. Lord, as we sing this song, may you get the glory and honor. In Jesus' name. Worship with us this morning. Um, if you know this song, it's an older song. It's called He Knows My Name. 